0: Hey guys, Dr. Bacon. You're listening to another episode here on the Mindful Experiment. I hope you guys are enjoying this, the nice summer weather here in Tennessee. We've been seeing about 100 degrees, heat index at 108. It's been a little intense. Uh, I'm not used to this, uh, seeing this in June. But even back home in Chicago, where my family's all from, and where I was just at six months ago, they uh, are hitting 102. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Uh, but I digress. I um, Hope you guys are doing absolutely amazing. Um, a lot of things coming up. My world's about to shift in a couple of weeks. You'll be hearing all about those things. I will keep you guys updated as uh, my little daughter is almost going to be born here, probably about the end of June, first week of July. We're looking at exciting times. And, but anywho, I digress. This week, we had a wonderful interview by Aaron Labour, which he is a doctor of physio, physical therapy, international speaker, podcast host, and author. It was a great podcast to have. We discussed a lot of concepts about him how does he stay focused and organized through adhd i shared my own journey with adhd we talked about things of how he ran a physical therapy clinic while without accepting insurance they have to understand that's a little different in their world because they're very tied into the insurance world and for aaron he's done that without and he actually coaches pts on how to do this and so much more And it's just a, it was a good idea to to grasp some concepts that you think outside the box and it's okay. You don't have to follow the conditioning of what you've been programmed in your profession or what your your career or the business that you're in and so forth. But tell you a little bit about Dr. Aaron. He is the host of the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast, author of the Cash PT Blueprint, international speaker, and has helped thousands of passionate physical therapists scale their time, income, and impact without relying on insurance. He's a doctor of physical therapy, certified massage therapist, and a Baptista-inspired yoga teacher. He owns LaBare Physical Therapy, 100% cash-based physical therapy practice in Greensboro, North Carolina, with his wife, Andra. He started his practice so he can treat patients as unique individuals without the influence of insurance reimbursement. He has inspired thousands of others to do the same, even when physicians, professors, and other physical therapists have thought it's a crazy idea, unethical, or won't simply not work. Dr. Labara is in our mission to save 100 million people from unnecessary surgeries by helping other passionate physical therapists succeed in business and learn how to directly market to patients. Sit back, relax, enjoy this episode, but even if you're not a PT, this will be something that you can learn something from about thinking outside the box and doing something that you feel like you want to do. I know that was by my journey in life, and I went through that after my first five years of having a chiropractic office, and it's something that I teach a lot of clients in my coaching business of how to live and dictate what it is they want to experience and so much more. Without any further ado, here is Dr. Aaron Labar <music> Aaron,
2: welcome to the show. Hey, Vic. Thanks for having me. Appreciate, appreciate the opportunity.
0: Excited to have you on here. I love what you're up to. I love what you're doing. I love the whole thing about cash practices, doing things like that in the chiropractic world. That's a, that's a big topic we discuss a lot about just because what's going on with the insurance world and all that. But mm-hmm. uh, um, excited to dive into what we were chatting about here. And um, as my listeners know, before we get into all the good stuff, I always love to know, how did you get into what you're doing? What's your story? What's the journey that took you to where you are today?
2: Yeah, it was a, um, no, like a 10, 12 year journey, but it's been, you know, I'm, I started PT as an adult. So I I graduated college. Um, I was kind of an adult, but you know, not responsible, um, spent a year, uh, out of the country, you know, then, uh, I, so I lived in Israel for a year. I moved back to the United States. was like, I'm moving to California, landed out there, slept on a couch for six weeks on the porch in the rain. Um, finally got like a temp job, a bunch of jobs that sucked. And I ended up as a, um, bike messenger. Well, I had been exposed to massage therapy in, in college from racing bikes. And, you know, I had this epiphany one day. I was like, oh, I can, if I go to massage therapy school, I can go to school for four hours a day. Um, I'll eventually work four hours a day and be able to race bikes because racing bicycles was my passion. Um, and I'd been pre-med, but decided organic chemistry wasn't for me. Um, so I kind of like got off the path and got back into the path of working in like doing, uh, working with people's bodies, doing healing and through massage therapy. Um, after a few years of doing that, patients just kept telling me, Aaron, you're the first person to ever touched me where I hurt, or the first person to actually ever helped me. I've been to chiropractors, massage therapists, PTs, you know, acupuncture, et cetera. And no one's touched me where I hurt. And then they would say, now, when am I going to get better? I'm like, I don't know when you're going to get better because as a massage therapist, you're not trained to give a prognosis. So my wife encouraged me to go back to PT school. And I did that when I was 34. Um, We had moved back out of California, back to North Carolina, bought a house, got married, um, both uh, went back to school, um, had a baby, and then started a cash practice right after school. Did that for a few years. People said, Aaron, how'd you do this? And I told him. And then no one ever said thank you until one day this woman said, Well, how much do I owe you? And uh I said, I don't know. <laughs> and that started my coaching and consulting business. So that's the short,
0: like three-minute answer. Love it. Now, <laughs> what what inspired you to be run a start a cash practice right off the bat, especially in the 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 physical therapy world?
2: I think the there were a couple things. Um, you know, I went into PT thinking, all right, great i'll be a PT I'll be a doctor of physical therapy I'll get out and I'll have some respect or at least you know be able to you know decide how my patients were treated um, and I quickly realized on my first clinical rotation, I saw forty three patients one day in one day I saw forty three patients and I realized that day I can't treat patients the way that I knew they needed to be treated um, in a traditional physical therapy model you know because I'd already been working in massage therapy for seven years, people telling me they had already been to PT, they were doing things that they could do at home, no one touched them where they hurt, and they weren't getting better. And that's not everyone, but that's the people I was seeing. And I knew there was this big segment of people that were being underserved. And so how was I going to do anything different? And so I thought, well, if I'm already charging $85 an hour doing massage or body work, like, why wouldn't I charge even just $10 more an hour now that I'm Dr. LeBauer? Um, but there was no existing model for out-of-network or cash-based practice in PT. So um, I had to use my experience doing massage therapy to just say, hey, look, I'm going to charge a little bit more, call myself Dr. LeBauer. It's now LaBauer Physical Therapy
0: and see what happens. And, and it ended up working. <laughs> That's awesome. I think because just, you know, I know my experience in Kairos, I work with and talk to and colleagues and so forth. Insurance is just a nightmare and a headache yeah. and all that stuff. For the listeners who don't understand that stuff and use your insurance trust us. we go through a lot of headaches if we use it. But it's one of the things where you don't hear about too much with the cash practice side in the PT world. That's what intrigued me. I was yeah. like, wow, okay, cash practice in the PT side. Um, but I love it though. So what what is it like, You're just real quick, if you don't mind me asking, like the mm-hmm. process you take your, your a client through
2: yeah so our um like our you mean like our patients in our clinic or our clients
0: for i'm, I'm, I'm sorry know. yeah just in the cl- i'm sorry in the clinic side like is it just normal pt mm-hmm. or is there other things you incorporate
2: yeah so physical therapy has this like really broad uh definition and as physical therapists we've been really bad at defining what we do um and you know because we can do things like uh like wound care and we can do uh, balance and vestibular issues, and then just general back pain, neck pain. But what we do in our clinic that's different, um, there's two things. We don't advertise or market physical therapy. We market directly to uh, the consumer of our service and you know, to the specific needs, wants, and desires they have. So we help active people in Greensboro stay fit, healthy, and strong without pain meds, injections, or surgery. And that's like our main message. When people come in, they, um, before they come in, like if they call us, we'll ask them a certain series of questions. Uh, so about 40% of people call directly, 60% of people coming through our website where they fill in like an application where it's like, what's your name? Uh, what's happened? How long has it been a problem? What's it keeping you from doing? What would you like to be doing instead? What service are you interested in? When's a good time to call you back? And so we start getting this kind of information from people. Um, we bring them into a consultation, like a a consultation. So it's a seventy five dollar total body diagnostic, where we look at people head to toe. We take them through like a quick screen, ask them some questions, touch them where they hurt, and give them a plan to solve their problem, which isn't their back pain or their shoulder issue. It's um, the fact that they can no longer go to CrossFit and and it's not even getting back to CrossFit or yoga is what does yoga help them do? It helps them feel strong, confident, and like a good role model for their kids. And so we give them a, here's your plan for that. And we'll, um, then offer and sell the plan of care. So we'll sell the, you know, the result they want in it, like whatever we think is appropriate, whether it's an eight week or 12 week program. And, uh, most people, a good 40% of people will pay in full. Um, another 40% of people will, um, get on a payment plan or pay as you go. And then there's a good 23% people who this isn't right for them because they thought their
0: insurance was going to pay for all of it, you know? And, and you answered exactly how I was expecting, customized, right? That, that's yeah. what you do. And that's, that's the uniqueness. And a lot of times with, with, even in the chiropractic world, we cash practices, we can, be more customizing to our patients and serve mm-hmm. them actually better um, in a non-insurance world rather than being in an insurance oh. world. So, Yeah, because the insurance
2: I, tells you, you they're only going to pay you for certain things or they're not going to pay for two units of X, Y, and Z, even though like we as doctors think that this is what our patients need. And to let them dictate the care, I don't think is serving our patients or as ethical as, you know, it's not the ethical way. You know,
0: no, totally. I mean, I always tell my patients, like, when, I'm like, I'm not the doctor when you use your insurance. It, it, the insurance <laughs> company is, and they're like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, oh, you'll see. It it, it may show up. They'll, they'll all of a sudden say this is not medically necessary, and they're gonna be like, but I need it. I'm like, I know you need it, but that, again, remember when I said I'm not the doctor? They are. Um, Yep. And it's one of those things. That's why I was just curious to see where where that went, because as as, as I know, I've, I've had those some of those experiences. Mm-hmm. So then, how you know, you, you got the you know the customization side, solid and so forth. Where does it come then to you know branching yourself out? What marketing stuff have you done, or or like uh, in those aspects to really um, shift gears? Because for me, I'm very intrigued when it comes yep. to. I'm a PT because I I come from Illinois. PT is very embedded in, in, into the insurance world and so forth. Um, how did you create a difference? How did you how do you make that little niche for yourself to to branch out that way?
2: Yeah, I think the first um, two things that we did that were um, critical um, was. Uh, figuring out where my patients exist. And so they exist online and they exist out in public, but not at the physician's office and not really at any other healthcare provider's office because healthcare providers, hospitals are going to say, well, you don't take their insurance. We won't send our patients to you. Even if I was the best person in town for that person, they wouldn't do it. And I still think that's ethically wrong, but so where else are patients? And so Google search, um, was huge, um, early on. Well, I mean, this is 13 years ago. Um, maybe closer to 15, you know, being the first person found on Google just for physical therapy um, was huge. I mean, it's Google still is a huge um, driver of new people to our practice. Through our reviews, we've got over 75 five-star Google reviews. um, We've written lots of blog posts. I've got over a million views on our YouTube channel for our clinic. So those kinds of things and doing that consistently over time has helped. Um, The other big thing is being out in the community and doing in-person workshops for, you know, yoga studios or other um, like organizations at gyms, etc. Just knowing people working out there and people, oh, you got to ask Dr. LeBauer about this. Oh, you need to. And that's not just word of mouth. That's cultivating word of mouth. So not waiting for it to come, but actively cultivating and asking for word of mouth and getting out in the community and doing events and being in front of people.
0: Love that. I love that. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's that's I think that's sometimes the best marketing in itself right there. Yeah. Just being able to do those two things. And, and even still to this day, you know, Google still is a, a search engine that a ton of people use. So for all the entrepreneurs out there, definitely making sure you get up on those rankings. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit now. So you did get the PT side, but now you're also coaching individuals Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about that break that down a little bit um teaching people the model of what you've created and what has worked and uh, is that kind of where the process is yeah
2: i think the interesting thing is um a lot of people say who are you like especially early on who are you to teach people how to do this and who are you know all the all the detractors and and the and the what do i call like the dodo birds and dinosaurs they're just like what who are you and i'm like Who am I, I'm the one sharing the information. I'm just sharing, all I've done is share what I know. Most people don't think they should share what they know because they need to hold it close to their chest because someone else will figure it out and steal their success. And all I was doing was helping other people through internet forums and uh, like LinkedIn groups at the time. Um, And people said, uh, so I had had a couple people ask um, and even a couple of classmates. I spent an hour on the phone with each of them. And then after a few weeks, Said to my wife, He said, you know, Andra, um, they didn't even, I gave them all the secrets and they didn't even say thank you. And she said, you know what? Don't give away anything for free when you expect something in return. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> and I got on the next call, I think it was that afternoon or <clears throat> or the next week, <clears throat> excuse me, with a, with a woman who I didn't know. And she had asked, well, can I just ask you a few questions? And at the end of the call, she said, okay, Aaron, how much do I owe you? And I was like, what do you mean how much do you owe me? And she said, well, this is extremely valuable. I want to pay you for your time. And she said, well, how much do you charge your patients? I'll pay you that. And I was like, okay, great. So that day I just wrote down, okay, this is what I charge for coaching and consulting. And I'd already had like a blog, but that really made me understand that the information that I had to share, it was valuable. And so I've just kind of grown it since then, because mainly because I'm just sharing what I'm doing in my practice, what's working for me and helping people um, figure out how do they, uh, how do they do it themselves? These days, you know, that that was more of a, I think I shared more of a, here's how to do it. And these days I'm more of a, let me help you get off the fence and be an outside eye to your business and help you grow it faster that way. Um, but that's really how it got started.
0: I love that. And is it just PTs you work with, or is there, there's a certain uh, cult, uh, professions you you help out?
2: Yeah, I I mostly work with physical therapists because I I am a physical therapist. We've had chiropractors, acupuncturists, physical therapist assistants, massage therapists, health coaches, and psychotherapists come through our programs. Um, So, you know, I mean, a wide range of people, mostly if you're like a a fitness, health, or healing profession, a lot of things that we do like kind of resonate. Um, But the things that I teach are general business principles and, you know, online marketing strategies.
0: Love that. What's some of the challenges you see people facing that are a common theme um, that they, they, you, you see in your, your, are working with your clients. Yeah. The,
2: the number one challenge people have is the strive for perfection, right? Especially with people who've been through grad school, like in order to get into grad school, you have to pass a standardized test and you have to get A's and even in PT schools, like if you were getting a C, like I could graduate from college with a C. But in PT school, if you were getting a C, that wasn't like a passing grade. Like you had to have Bs. So it was a strive for perfection. But uh, perfection in your business is going to, perfection a business killer. And it's going to kill your business faster than anything else. Um, 80% is good enough. And I said that to someone someday and uh, it just kind of stuck. And so now it's on like the back of our like shirts and I've made stickers. And really 80% is all you need in business. And what that means is we want speed wins. And so the faster I can get something to market, the faster I can get my website out, my, uh, menu, my cards, etc. Um, uh, the sooner I can get results, the longer I wait, um, the more delays we'll have, the less people will help. And so, um, the product or service or website or whatever the thing is, it just needs to be good enough. It just needs to be, um, viable and work and it needs to work. And then you start it and you come back and, fix it later on because i think most people are afraid of putting out something that's not perfect and that they'll fail but um you know it's like failure is not fatal and we can just go down the road and always change course later on Uh, but most people just sit on the fence the whole time and say why don't i have results and then they send nasty emails and go who are you to do this and i'm like you're the one not doing it you know that's really the big big problem
0: I hope you've been enjoying this amazing episode. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. Hello,
2: my name is Devin, and I currently make about $4,000 a month playing video games. My name is Matt, and I make a couple hundred bucks a month writing articles on Medium.com.
1: Ronnie Cimbala from Baltimore, Maryland, making about $1,000 a day. The end of the weekend, we have a net profit of three grand.
0: It was doubling my income from my nine to five job. And I said, I got to quit.
2: We are furniture flippers. And on average, make three to $4,000 a month. Four months was able to actually double my salary.
1: Three and a half thousand dollars a day. I was able to make
0: a $1,000 in one day.
1: I was afraid to stay where I was.
0: We did $90,000.
2: Success leaves clues. Real people are making real money outside of traditional jobs. The Side Hustle Show shares their stories and the realistic actions you can take to start building your own extra income streams. Follow The Side Hustle Show on Spotify, SideHustleNation.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: All right. Information. You can find out more about this in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. But now let's go ahead and let's get back to the show. I hope you've been enjoying this amazing episode. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. I love how you bring up the 80%. That's something I teach all the time. And, and yeah. when I have students in my office and they're interning or shadowing and I had an intern one time and she was, again, going to grad school and stuff, you're like this perfectionist. You're just, you got to get things done a certain way. And I remember she was spending so much time just creating a little content for us. And I looked and I said, you wasted how much time? I go, how much did I pay for that? And she's like, "What do you mean? You're saying this so mean?" I'm like, "I'm not being mean. I'm just curious." And so she told me, and I was like, "Listen, I'm gonna give you a rule in life. If you master this now, you'll master it. You'll make your life so much, you know." And I, I, I see a lot of me in her, and I was like that, where I mm-hmm. had to be 100 percent and all this. Same thing. I just like just do an 80 20 rule. 80 percent of your work, as long as 80 percent satisfactory, go move on. Don't look back. And um, when I was writing my second book, that I took, I finally I applied that into my life because I wrote the book and I was like, had the editor look at it, and I was like, "Man, there's still mistakes we got to work through." And I'm like, "You know what? Forget it." This is the book. This is what it is. If someone calls me out on it, they're not meant to read my book then. Um, that's not the person I want to read my book anyhow. You know, if they're going to be nitpicking every little thing, because there's people out there, they're going to do that too. Um, but it's, it's just something interesting how that 80 20 rule uh, just applies in so many different uh, avenues and how it can work in so many different ways.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I've got spelling mistakes in my book. And the only reason we corrected them is because I got the logic wrong with like training to explain some medicare stuff and so i had to correct the medicare thing we had to go back and do a revision but i still left some things misspelled so when people pointed out i say congratulations you know you won
0: you know what would you like as your prize <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I would have people like it's amazing what people will say, but it's it's interesting. So I'm getting ready to write my third one and I'm like and I was talking to a client about it and they're like, So you, you talk a lot about just implementing and you talk like you're sharing, right? First the market, just get out there, like I share about like people when I create a program, I don't have the program, but I'm marketing it. And they're like, mm-hmm. Wait a minute. And I'm like, Well, because I want to get traction, why am I gonna build something and then sit and wait for people to come through? I'd rather have at least the something done, like a little something, and then just market like crazy and then once it's good to go all right, I'm going to work now. And I'll figure it out as I go. And then I'll fine tune it later down the road, like he kind of said. And I think that's a lot of times, especially, you know, in today's era, we're always trying to perfect and we realize that doesn't have to be I'm not saying you're, you don't want your work to have be good quality. But you do want it to be in some way. And this is in life in general, I think, too, you don't have to everything in your life doesn't have to be set to a certain stage, it could just be like, hey, what is the level of what's your standard, right? And how do you want to play that with whatever that standard is? And then just let that be the bar and then just work from there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said that you um, will like sell your program before you build it, because that's exactly what I learned and, te- learned and teach. And I've seen people, I've seen two different people, one person spent $50,000 on recording a course and another person spent like $30,000 on it. And they both struggled because they couldn't sell their program. They couldn't like afford to pay for, they didn't think they could afford to pay for coaching. And, you know, they just had a hard time and they just went about it backwards, but that's the way we think it should be done, but that's not the way it it works in business.
0: (laughs) I wish I had this advice, you know, and ingrained it in my head like 15 years ago, because I would have been so much different because it was always like, well, I got to have it ready to go before this happens, or I have to have this. And now in my life, it's just, you know, I'll I'll literally sometimes I'm on Facebook and I just be like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Who's interested? And you know, I got hands coming up and I'm going, all right, now I got work to do. I oh, know. I did that. I've done
2: it where like eight times out of 10, you get crickets. And then once you'll get like 100 or 200 replies. And you're like, oh man. Oh, dude, like, like, why didn't I? I didn't, you know, I didn't even prep the VA or don't have a VA to do this. I'm like, oh, I got to deliver on
0: something, and that's a good problem to have, you know. Always, and, you know, I, I agree with you 100. percent. So we got the perfection side of things. Um, what else do you see commonly shows up? That is things that uh, uh, people need to, you know, it's a common thing.
2: Yeah, I think um, there's a so there's the perfection. There's also um, kind of not people not setting big enough goals. You know, people come in a lot of times and their goals are, um, I mean, this is patients and coaching clients. Their, their goals are just to get back to doing it's the standard, right? So when setting goals, I wouldn't say 80% is good enough. Setting goals, we need, to, we need to have like a target and a realistic goal, right? I want something to shoot for, but something I'm happy to land on. And that happy to land on shouldn't just be replacing what I already have. Like, so for a business, you know, a lot of people come in, their goals are just to replace their job. Well, then you're just building yourself a job in your health. If it's like, Hey, my back hurts, or I was told never to run again. I just need my, my knee or my back to stop hurting. But Hey, I, if you want to run a marathon, I can help you do that. You know? Um, and people think that they shouldn't be striving for something bigger. And when we set big enough goals, we can, it, and we're in tune with them and we know exactly what we want and why it's important to us then that's the thing that can motivate us to get up every morning at 5 a.m. when we have to, to work on our business before we take the kids to school. Um, And it's the thing that can keep us going because it's not only just a bigger goal, but it's a goal that's about something bigger than just us. It's bigger than just my bank account and my kids. It's about helping other people. And when it's clear and concise and has a timeline, it's something that makes it easier to just keep going because I'm not hitting that goal. So for one of mine is to help a hundred million people avoid expensive imaging and unnecessary surgery, but I can't do that alone. a hundred million people is a really large number. Um, I've, if I help, if I help, uh, and if, if physical, other physical therapists I help work half as hard as me and see half as many patients I help, I still have to help 55,000 of them, uh, learn how to market directly to patients and build a business that's sustainable for 10 years, you know? And, uh, I don't know if I can do that, but I can't do it by myself.
0: Well, that's it's the thing. It's, it's yeah, I love that when you, you know, sometimes what is it? I think Tony Robbins says we overestimate what we can do in a year, or underestimate what we can do mm-hmm. in five years or something like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, you know, I one of my in my one of my programs that I do, it's it's I always tell people I'll help you double your profits in six months. And and a lot of people go, That sounds way too good to be true. How's that possible? That's crazy. And I'm like, well, it has happened, but it's it's again looking at well, what, what kind of goals do you want to create? What is the process to it? It can yep. it can be done. I've done it multiple times, but it, it can be done. But it's one of those things where there's a lot of work. There's, there's the clarity, the vision, all these other things. But yep. looking at like goals in that aspect, I love how you said you want to help what was it, 100 million people? 100 million people. Love that, man. It's it's one of those things where you have to have those big goals. There's a, One of my mentors, he was like, I have a Nobel Peace Prize I, I wrote. I wrote it when I was 20-something years old. I'm like, no, about peace prize he goes one day he his goal is to reach a billion people to help and mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if he's there yet but he's been doing it for a very long time and it's one of those things where it's like have those audacious goals to really right. like shake you up i always say if you if you when i work with clients and then we're working on goal stuff for the year and they're like oh i want to do this and this I'm like, okay that sounds great because i'm listening to their tone and energy but i'm always like let's how about if we do this instead or how about we triple that Oh, I don't man that. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want. I want you mm-hmm. to hesitate. I want that, like, oh hold oh, man, that's crazy. And it's like, who cares if you don't get it? it, it sometimes right. you may get close. Like I and, and I think that's more, that's more important than the setting the bar so low where you're like, I'm always hitting my goals. I always feel good.
2: Right. Yeah. That one of the mistakes I made early on in my coaching business was letting people keep their really small goals. I had one client who was one of the first people to say yes. And I was like, wow, she said yes. Like that was, you know, to $1,500 a month. And after month two, she was like, all right, I'm ready to quit. And I was like, well, what's up? She's like, well, I already, you know, met my goals. Like I'm already making my $4,000 a month and I have two days off a week. And I'm like, but that was, that was, I was like, okay, like, don't you want to set bigger goals? But like, I didn't, like, I didn't have the ability early on to be like, hey, no, okay, that goal is like, a short term goal. Let's set a bigger goal. What do you really want for your life? And part of that's the questions you ask in the sales process. And how do you frame what this is all about? Um, And I've gotten better at that because people need, they need to be stretched and they need to see what's possible next.
0: Totally. I mean, if we're not, if we're not stretching in in any way, shape or form, we're not, we're not living the life we really want to desire to live. Absolutely. I love that. So we got the perfection side, the goal side, any other wonderful tips you don't mind sharing and and that people struggle with yeah. when working with them?
2: Yeah, I think it's um I think it probably comes back to the ego, but that's the ego is not the problem. The ego is kind of like part of the issue. The problem is people thinking they're the only ones that can do it, right? So I'm the only one that can treat this patient. I'm the only one that can write this sales page or email, or I have to be the one that does everything. Well, as a business owner, that's that becomes um Like the choke point, or we become the bottleneck, thinking that we have to be the one that does everything. And part of delegation, so we have to be able to delegate these things off our plate. So part of it is letting go of the outcome and knowing that if they get it, if they can do it 80% as good as me, great. But it's understanding that my time is more valuable than money. And if I want to value my time, I need to be spending my time on the things that only I can do, Um, like creating big deals and creating the vision and creating content, not. Editing videos and posting to social media, or even in our clinic, like I don't treat patients anymore, and I definitely don't answer the phones. So um, it took a while for me to figure out how do I do that. But once I once I did it and realized that I needed to do it, it allowed me to start doubling and tripling and you know ten xing my income and my impact. You know because I have more time to help more people rather than getting stuck in the weeds um, doing doing work that I can pay someone else 15,
0: 30, even fifty dollars an hour to do. Totally, I think that's a that's one thing that I think entrepreneurs in general, business owners in general, just need to learn to master more. Like, or like, what are the things you enjoy, or what's your biggest money makers, and then that's Mm -hmm. your job. And then all the other stuff you don't like to do, or you just don't, it's tedious stuff that you're you know not, it doesn't really generate money. um, Have someone else do.
2: Yeah, and you know, Vic, there's another thing that just popped in my head about what our ego keeps us from doing. A lot of times, our ego keeps us from asking for help because you're smart, right? You went to grad school, you have a degree, you've you got a DR period in front of your name, but uh, the, you, you absolutely can do it on your own. You, you're smart enough to figure it out. Like, um, but if someone could help give you the shortcut, you know, why wouldn't you take the shortcut? And so a lot of times what I am do with my coaches, I have coaches and I'm in a mastermind group and it really, it's about speed for me. So I don't have to make the same mistakes other people have made. I can get to my result faster even if I could figure it out or even show up to my coaching call and have the right answer. The fact that someone who's ahead of me says, yeah, do that. That's the right answer. It's like, okay, cool. I don't have to think about it longer. I can just now go take action and get big results from it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so key. And I think sometimes people miss out, like when it comes to, like I always tell people, you need a coach, you know, everyone needs a coach and whatever you may, whatever you do. Um, And you just brought up a great point on that because it's one of those things where it's like, I have someone who I can just get the answer to. I don't have to think about it. You're not wasting energy. You're not creating distractions. You're not you know, pulling yourself away where you can't – you're losing that energy, which means you can't mm-hmm. create your reality faster. Um, and just be like, hey, coach, this is where I'm at. I'll do this and you'll be good. That's what I thought. Thank you. Appreciate that. And then it's like, yeah. boom, let me get back and you. Let me get recentered. Let me get refocused. Let me hammer this stuff out. Right.
2: And that's exactly, you know, when I started my cash practice right out of PT school, everyone said, Oh, you have to have experience. I'm like, I I do have experience, but you know, I don't have like, uh, I didn't have differential diagnosis experience. Right. So I would call up one of my clinical instructors, like, Hey, I got a patient with this this is what I'm thinking. He's like, you're right. That's what I would do. Like, okay, cool. You know, it was the same thing. And, um, you know, that was super helpful. And so I think it, It is about valuing our time and recognizing how do I, how do I cheat time? It's by getting the cheat codes, you know, and the cheat code in business is working with a a business coach or mentor, um, the cheat code in clinical practice is working with a clinical mentor, you know, and
0: it's, it's the same thing and it helps our clients and patients get better results faster. I always tell patients, uh people on the, in the podcast here, our community and, and just on Facebook and stuff too. When I talk about like having a coach for stuff. I always tell them like I have a background of nutritional experience and stuff. I self-taught until I got into the chiropractic school and all that. And I went really deep into it. Um, and some, so my like my patients sometimes ask like, you know so much about nutrition. Do you like work on yourself with it? Then I'm like, no, never. They're like, what do you mean? But you know all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I know a lot. But I go, I have a friend of mine who is a chiropractor, and he's very in depth in nutrition. I pick his brain and say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. You tell me what I need to do. And what plan would you recommend? And how should I shift gears? And, or here's my issue. And this is what I'm trying to get better with. Tell me, here's things I thought of. What do you recommend? And I'll follow whatever you tell me. And because he's like my coach and I'm his coach in, other, in, in those kind of ways too. So when he has nutrition demands or stuff like that, he always comes to me with it. Um, here's what I've been trying or here's what I've been doing and so forth. And I tell people it's because you got, you got to have, there's things if you know, there's a we learned very early on that the doctor who treats himself is only but a fool. And (laughs) I remember when I was in chiropractic school listening to that, I said, I will never doctor myself, no matter what, maybe even when I go to a chiropractor, I just had to switch because I moved to Knoxville now and I have to find I had to find a new chiro. And I told him straightforward. I'm like, I know a lot. I'm very good at what I do. But here's the thing. You're my doctor. I'm your patient. That's the relationship I want to have with you. If I have something I'm concerned, I'll tell you what I think. But I want you to make the decision and you tell me what mm. I need to do. And he was just like, this is different. And I'm like, yeah. yes, because you're you need to be my chiropractor. You, I cannot be like, just telling you, hey, do this. And that's it. Oh, and treating healthcare
2: you- providers in our practice is <laughs> dependent because of that, because they don't
0: they don't let us be the doctor. You know, they don't let us help. So no, totally. Um, so one of the things you mentioned earlier, I didn't mention this to you, but like having ADHD. So I was never mm-hmm. diagnosed with ADHD, but uh, going to chiropractic school and I work I have a 50% pediatric practice. Um, I've seen ADHD and I go, holy crap, that's me every like, poster child. That was me growing up. Um, how are things that you c- handle these things? I love always asking people this, um, to that generation. Cause like there's gifts to 88 being ADHD. Um, there's a beautiful, and I always, when I work with kids and parents on this, I always tell them we're going to work on maximizing the gifts and minimizing the negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you balance everything with that?
2: Yeah. I think the the biggest gift or superpower that I call it is being able to see solutions to problems other people can't right? It's like, whether it's in your body or in your business, or, you know, I try not to do it in my relationship too much. <laughs> you know, I try not to tell my kids and my wife, like, this is how you solve your problem. But really, it's just being able to see different solutions to problems um, that most people think they have to keep walking straight. And I'm like, oh, just walk around the corner, you'll see the the other door. Um, but for me, it is um, recognizing, okay, There's a, there's a superpower and a gift to this. So how do I minimize the negatives? I think the thing is, um, I get really, uh, I probably get a lot of anxiety. Like if I start something and I know I can't complete it, I won't start it. Right. Because I'll either let myself down or let someone else down. So I don't do a lot of things as I've gotten older, I've been more comfortable looking at my done list rather than my to-do list. So my, so I make a list of all the things I need to do. The important stuff rises to the top. The 10x problems, the things that are going to make the most money help the most people. Um, the small things, the great ideas, um, the squirrels, they kind of fall to the bottom. And I never I never do them. But if I want to look at what have I done, I go just got to go look at the done list, all the things I've checked off. So I make lists. I live in like my calendar. If it's not on my Google calendar, it's not happening. And so my wife will say, hey, we've got this thing. I was like, but it's not on the calendar. <laughs> I'm like, of course, I didn't think it was happening. Um. And then I have to have other people around me who are really good and organized and kind of really help, uh, like in the business. Okay. If I have an idea, can I pass it off to someone else and they can implement the project? Um, but if I can write down clearly, and I've been working on this lately, it's not just, Hey, here's the project. It's, I have to say, here's the project and idea. Here's what, uh, here's what success looks like here's this kind of six parts of the project and the three steps to get started and kind of like name who it is, um, on there. And then I can start to hand off things that, um, I don't have to do. So Aaron can do a lot, but not Aaron does most of it.
0: Smart. I love it. Yeah. The other thing is I learned over time is, um, you know, one of the things that ADHD kiddos are just, we had have in general is that we have a bigger bandwidth of information processing mm-hmm. or higher IQ. So a lot of times we'll process things and get it and we're like, okay, I good yeah. Or when you're in conversation, you're, when people are talking, you're already, you can think and listen and process where they're coming from, where they're knowing the go and everything. And then, and then, and, and people will be like, it's, it's just funny when it comes to those things, but real quick, I have another question then. How yep. are you in sports?
2: Um, it depends
0: i'm not a sports yeah i I do
2: yeah i so i was raced a bicycle semi. i was a semi-professional cyclist um so i was a category one if anyone knows cycling it was the top amateur level we raced uh eight percent of the time with pros um and i raced in europe and i was really good at in i mean good at endurance sports and i'm good at just kind of pushing hard and far uh wasn't really good at uh ball sports i was I was okay at, okay at soccer in high school and got better at basketball as I got into college, but it was never something where I shined. Um, but I think, uh, the number one thing that no one can be good or bad at is yoga and movement and even like kettlebell training. So, um, that's what I prefer these days.
0: Love it. Now, I only bring that up because a lot of ADHD, uh, I say kiddos just because uh, that's what I yeah. practice with, but it's um, sports is something they're good at. Now, it doesn't have to be all sports. It can just, but it's like whatever sport mm-hmm. they're in, they're very, yep. uh, and like a lot of my ADHD, like when I'm working with ADHD kids who are teenagers, they're usually in multiple sports um, yep. and they're good at each of them. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like just one, they're like, they they really excel at what they do. Um, and it's one of those things where it's just multitasking, taking information, processing things and doing that. But I love right. how you brought up though; everyone can be, you know, you don't have to, you know, be good at certain with yoga or kettlebell training or stuff like right. that, um, which is true. And and that is in itself that that's, that's a task on itself yep. and helps out massively with your health So
2: Yep. Well, I think with, yeah. And, and going back to like sports and ADHD, I think a lot of it is. It's, uh, getting physical, um, tactile input and having to concentrate super hard on something like for me, it's like, this is the thrill seeking behavior, like for my brother, but my brother also raised bikes. So it's like, can you ride downhill, you know, at 45 miles an hour going around a corner that if you fell off, you would definitely be in the hospital and you have to focus so hard. So a lot of what it does is it forces you to focus, which is calming because there's not a thousand things going through your brain you have to really focus on what you're doing in that task and it's like oh it's like i can actually be calm because there's only one thing to focus on it's not it's it's going around the corner or riding down uh between cars in downtown san francisco as a bike messenger it's like you know like good that feels great to me you know
0: now, I love how you brought that up because you have to have that mental stimulation, exhaustion, and energy. But it's really just that because like I played baseball and sometimes that would get boring for me, especially like, like hitting or in the outfield. Um, until I started getting chiropractic care, I was able to focus a lot harder and better at that. Mm-hmm. But like soccer and racquetball and basketball and I used to play football with my friends uh, every weekend we play tackle. Like the high impact stuff. Man, that was like the mode that was like my zen. And yeah. I didn't know it until later because it was like one of the things where I didn't I couldn't play anymore. I was going to undergrad for for school and then getting into chiropractic school and I didn't play much sports. And I was like, why is it that like when I play sports, I'm calmer? I just don't understand. And then as I was going through chiropractic school, I started going, ah, oh, crap, I might have been ADHD. Man, that yeah. explains I needed that focus. I needed that this. I needed that. Mm-hmm. And so then I try to incorporate some sport of some of a high demand to do that. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's so true in so many ways. Aaron, real quick before we wrap up, how can people connect with you, find you, what you're up to, what you're doing and all that good stuff, get your book and all that.
2: Yeah, the, the best place to find me is probably Instagram at Aaron LeBauer or you can hit my website, AaronLeBauer.com. Um, and if you're like, how do I spell that again? It's with a B, but just go to Google, put in Aaron LeBauer. And you'll hit all my websites and uh,
0: social medias, L-E-B-A-U-E-R. And for all the listeners, I will have that in the show notes. Um, Aaron, this was fun. Uh, Great to to connect, get to know you a little better. And uh, thank you for taking the time to share what you know and what you experience and all that good stuff with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely, Vic. Thanks for having me again